You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I'm Pastor Danny, and we're so glad you're with us, and so glad to have all our guests today. Let's give our guests a hand one more time. Thank you for being here today. If you're a first-time guest, take a moment and fill out that card in front of your uh, chair there and take it to the blue wall in the back, and we want to give you some more gifts and just say hello to you. Thank you for being with us today. And today is the first day of spring, so we're absolutely pumped about that. I don't know if anybody here loves cold weather, but I'm ready for a little sunshine. And so uh, Karen and I took a nice bike ride yesterday, had a really great time out, so it's good to see the weather getting a little warmer. So we're glad you're with us today, and uh, we're in a series called Liberated. And this series is out of the book of Galatians, and uh, we've been studying that. I want to say a big hello uh, before we get started today to our online audience. We have people listening from all over the area and in different states. So thank you for listening to us today. And also our Fenwick Island campus. We're so grateful for our Fenwick Island campus and all my friends there, Pastor Mickey and uh, Rob and Heather and all the friends there. I love you guys. So, so glad that you're a part of today's uh, service as well. So we're in this series called Liberated, and uh, the book of Galatians is about freedom, how to find freedom in Jesus, and uh, the key idea in the book of Galatians is that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So sometimes we get really confused in our Christian life. We think, you know, we got to do better. We got to try harder for God to accept us. But what we understand about from the book of Galatians is that our acceptance before God has been provided by Jesus. And everything we do out of our Christian life is out of celebration, not out of duty. So that's an important thing. And sometimes we think, you know, we need some duty. We need, you know, that sense of obligation to be a good Christian. But in reality, we live our best life out of celebration. And that's what the book of Galatians is about. Today, we're going to look at some little pieces in the book of Galatians about how people in the book of Galatians struggled with uh, how they were viewed by other people. So today, I want to talk about three views of you. Three views of you. Good Sermon has three points, and this one has three points. Three views of you, and uh, we're going to talk about how others view you, how you view you, and how God views you. The big goal in the Christian life is to get God's view of you to match your view of you. And so that's what we want to talk about today. But in the book of Galatians, we had this scene where uh, Peter is struggling with what other people thought about him. And uh, this is found in, in chapter 2. And let me read it to you real quickly. This is the main text today. It's Galatians 2, verses 11 through 16. When Cephas, this is verse 11, Cephas is the same uh, person as Peter, and Cephas is the Aramaic uh, name of Peter. And uh, in the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek, but Jesus spoke this language called Aramaic. And so uh, the Aramaic version of uh, Peter's name is Cephas. So when you see Cephas, that's actually Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. This is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, 
You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Verse 15 says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of law, no one will be justified. So we get this little scene uh, where the apostle Peter, he's in this place called Antioch and uh, Antioch, we don't, you know, it's in Syria, and there's a t- couple Antiochs in the in the New Testament. But this is this is the first city where the Gentiles really embrace Jesus. So Peter is actually in a very Gentile city. He comes to see what's happening. Paul was had been teaching in the city of uh, Antioch, and so Peter comes up there, and Peter's had some really marvelous experiences of his own. He's had these experiences where he saw a sheet being let down from heaven, and uh, he understood that God loved the Gentiles just like the Jewish people. So he understands that cognitively in his brain. Uh, but when he comes to Antioch, he's having a good time hanging out with the Gentile people. And uh, these aren't the Jewish people, but these are the Gentile people. And he's hanging out with them, and he's uh, eating Jersey Mike subs with them, ham, ham Jersey Mike subs. Uh, he's eating uh, non-kosher food. He's going to Gentile parties. He's hanging out. He's having a great time. He's free, and he's liberated. Then all of a sudden, these, uh, these Jewish uh, people come from Jerusalem that are friends of James. Now, James was the leader of the book, uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he was the brother of Jesus. So James has a lot of clout. So James, the brother of Jesus, you know, we don't know if he sent these people there, but they come and they are, they subscribe to the idea that if you're going to be a full Christian as a Gentile, you have to embrace the, uh, the Old Testament law, you have to embrace the festivals that the Jews kept, you have to embrace kosher eating, you have to embrace circumcision, and so when these people from James come, Peter has been hanging out, he's been free, he's been liberated, he's been having a great time. But when he sees these people show up, all of a sudden, you know, he begins to wonder what they are thinking about him. What are they going to say back to James, the brother of the Lord? Are they going to say, hey, I, we saw Peter down there in Antioch, and he's just hanging out with the, uh, with the Gentiles. He's just living like a Gentile. And the Bible says that Peter separated himself from the Gentiles, and other people followed Peter's model. And they were, uh, they were uh, Peter was worried about what these people thought. And so he changed his behavior. Now here's something that's interesting that's in the story. What's interesting in the story is his behavior was not changing because his belief has changed. He still knew that God accepted the Gentiles by faith and not by circumcision keeping the law. He knew that in his head. He's changing his behavior because of what people think. He's changing his behavior because of how he thinks he's being perceived. So he is sacrificing truth uh, because he wants to be accepted. Let me ask you this. In our culture, have you ever felt like you have sacrificed truth, sacrificed what you believe because what other people are thinking around you? To be a true, authentic follower of Jesus, we've got to be willing to stand alone and be faithful to the Bible and be faithful to Scripture, even when everybody around us is going in a different direction. 
likes the uh, Italian mother who saw, went to the, uh, prayed to see her son who had graduated from uh, boot camp and the military, and she went to watch the parade, and she came back home, and everybody said, you know, how was the, how was the parade? And she said, it was wonderful. Everybody was out of step except for my son, Johnny. <laughs> and sometimes we got to be willing to be out of step with culture. And we are so many times sort of caving by what, caving on what we believe because we are afraid of what people think. And Paul is showing Peter, in fact, he confronts Peter in this situation, that Peter has sacrificed, sacrificed his belief based on his need for acceptance. And so we got to be careful that we don't do that as well because it's so easy that as we go through a Christian life to kind of go through our Christian life and begin to think we're always looking about what other people think of us. We're always thinking about how are we being perceived and we're struggling with that. Now, there was a guy uh, back in 1951, a guy named Solomon Ask, that's spelled A-S-C-H. He was a Polish uh, psychologist, and uh, I don't know if you or, or you love Poland, but I love Poland, especially with what's happening in the Ukraine. Don't you love that wonderful country that's embracing all the people from Ukraine that are coming there? I'm telling you, I'm a big fan of Poland right now. I love that country. But this guy, Solomon Ask, was a psychologist, and he did this, this study, and it was a comparison study how people would respond under pressure. So he put uh, before people, he had, in fact, he did this at Swarthmore College, uh, took 50 male students, and what he did was he, he put one graph on one side that had a line. You can see the line there. It's a line. And he wanted to know which line on the left-hand side matched the, the, the on the right-hand side matched the line on the left-hand side. You got one box with one line in it, then you got three uh, box with three lines in it, and the answer is obviously number C. It's obviously number C. Line number A is too short. Line number B is too long. C is the right answer. So they put people in the room, and uh, they did these studies where, where they would have one person that was the test subject, and then six people that were actors. And when they put people in the room and the six people that were the actors, when they said, well, the right answer is line number C, then the person that was a test person always answered line number C. But when they changed that and they, they flipped it around uh, and they had the people in the room uh, begin to give the wrong answer, listen to this, it's, it's obvious the answer is C, but 32% of the time, 32% of the time, people were persuaded by the group instead of what is obviously the truth. And one of the, one of the things that I think is happening in our culture is that there are things that are obviously the truth, things that are obviously correct for us to believe, and yet we're being persuaded by everyone around us. How many know that liberty, having liberty, is not being captive to what other people think of you, but being willing to stand for what is true and what is correct. I remember when, uh, when our kids were little, uh, we had a bunch of uh, kids over to our house one weekend, and we had this, uh, uh, it was all junior high kids, and it was all Joel's friends, so we had all these kids over, and they were there all weekend, and they were kind of tearing up our house, and we were celebrating with them and doing this, you know, having a weekend together. And, uh, and so the boys all wanted to go to a movie, 
And so they wanted to go to this movie that was not appropriate for uh, middle-aged uh, kids to go to, and so uh, middle, middle school kids to go to. So we, we looked at the list of movies, and there was a movie theater in Salisbury we were going to take them to. And when we looked at the movies, we found a movie that was appropriate for junior high boys to go to. And so we all agreed that they were going to go to that movie. So we dropped the kids off at the movie theater, and when we drop them off, uh, Karen and I go to Walmart to do our shopping, and my wife is very discerning. She's got this discerning sixth sense, and she's walking around Walmart, and she, I don't know if the Lord told her or if she just had that motherly instinct. She said, those boys went to the wrong movie. And so she just knew inside they went to the wrong movie. How many know, how many have ever caught your kids? You knew they did the wrong thing. You know it. You got this sixth sense. So she, uh, she, uh, when we got them, picked up the boys, we're quizzing them about the movie. They don't know anything about the movie they're supposed to go to. We found out later that Joel, uh, our son, that there was four kids, four kids, four of his buddies, and four of the, of the boys that were at the house went to the wrong movie. But he walked down the aisle to the right movie. And I know that he was called a mama's boy and that you are a, you're a wimp and all of that. But at, in seventh grade, he made a decision to do what other people, the opposite of what other people are doing. And, and you know, one of the things about a leader, a person that's going to become a leader, a person that's going to become a, a strong influencer in our culture is someone that's willing to stand alone, someone that's willing to, to, to be out of step with everybody around them. And so we see in this, this story, we see Peter constantly accommodating what other people want and what other people think, and he's in bondage to what other people think of him instead of doing what he knows to be right. On the other hand, Paul, who's been criticized that he's not a real apostle, he wasn't a real follower of Jesus, he didn't, he didn't really walk with Jesus like the other disciples, and he's been criticized to not be a real apostle. In fact, the first part of the book of Galatians, he's defending his apostleship, that he's a real apostle, and, and that he really has had a, a, an encounter with the Lord. But Paul is standing firm because he knows what he believes, and he has a, an experience with Jesus. He has this relationship with the Lord, and he has this surety in his heart. And even though everybody else is going the opposite way, Paul is standing by himself. And Paul is willing to do what he knows to be right. So that's an important principle for us today. Paul is unmovable. We need to be, you know, we need to be flexible in things that don't matter. We need to be, you know, accommodating to things that really don't that aren't that important. But when it comes to believing Scripture, when it comes to doing what we know is right, when it comes to you know, living a life that honors Jesus, when it comes to that, we need to be out of step with culture. We need to be thinking different than culture. We need to be willing to be different than culture. If we're, willing, if we're not willing to do that, then we're going to have a hard time really becoming the, the people that God wants us to become. So that's a very important thing. Paul, when I think of Paul, Paul is like, I don't know if you've ever been to Indian River Inlet Bridge there, that little canal that runs under uh, the Indian Inlet Bridge there uh, where the guys are fishing. Paul is like one of those big rocks. He's like one of those big rocks that the tide keeps hitting against. The tide keeps hitting against Paul, but Paul stands firm. He knows he's had a relationship with Jesus, and he's absolutely convinced about what he believes. So I, I just think that's such important. Here's a great scripture for you to think about. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, Fear of man 
will prove to be a snare. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And then it says the the New Living Translation says, Fear of people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Now, when it says fear of man is a snare, what I hear there is, is that when you're in captivity to the fear of man, it holds you back from becoming everything you're supposed to be. When When you're in bondage to what people think of you, It's a snare, and it keeps you from becoming everything God wants you to be. It's like driving through life with a a, uh, emergency brake on all the time. You're not going as fast as you can. You're not going as far as you can. You're not doing as much as you can because you're always thinking about what other people think of you. I had one of our pastors recently, one of our young pastors. We have all these wonderful young millennial pastors that I get to work with that are coming up and will be the next generation of Bayshore, and they're just doing such a great job. And one of them came to talk to me about how to preach better, how to be a better preacher. And he's already a very good preacher. And he said, "Uh, Pastor Danny, I just want to spend some time with you, and I want you to talk to me about communication. How can I be a better communicator? And I said to him, hey, you're doing good, and you're doing this great and that great and all that. I said, you know, the most important thing, about being a great communicator is not being self-conscious, not being self-conscious. If you're thinking about what other people are thinking about you, you can never reach your highest level of communication. You've got to be thinking about the Lord. You've got to be thinking about the material. You've got to be thinking about what you're preaching. If you're thinking about what people are thinking, then you can never become a great communicator. So if you go through life always thinking about what other people think of you, then you can never become the greatest person you are meant to be. Now, I don't know if you uh, remember the, the movie Runaway Bride uh, that was uh, filmed in Berlin, Maryland, our little claim to fame. Berlin, Maryland in 1999. How many know uh, the movie Runaway Bride? You ever see the movie Runaway Bride, Julia Roberts and Richard Greer? A lot of people say I look like Richard Greer. I'm not sure, but anyhow, <laughs> I hear that often. But uh, it was recorded and filmed in Berlin, Maryland, and they renamed it Hale, Maryland uh, in 1999. The movie made $305 million, and I'm not sure how much money Berlin got at that, but anyhow, that's a, a great movie. But the movie is about Maggie Carpenter, who's been to the altar three times, and she runs out of the weddings, and she can't finally make commitment. And this uh, uh, Ike Graham is Richard Greer. He comes from New York City to write a a, a newspaper article on her next wedding, and he's betting she's not going to go forward. But he gets to know her. Of course, they fall in love, and uh, wonderful scenes in Berlin. But in the movie... What we find is that, uh, is that Maggie Carpenter uh, is, is, is obsessed with what other people think of her. Because every guy she dates, however that guy likes his eggs in the morning, that's how she gets her eggs. So if she's dating a guy that has scrambled eggs, she gets scrambled eggs. If she dates a guy that, that loves uh, eggs over easy, she gets eggs over easy. And, and she goes to it, there's a point in the movie where she tries to figure out what kind of eggs she really likes. Because she's becoming what other people want her to be. Instead of being who God called her to be. Instead of being the person that she's supposed to be. And so she's in bondage. It is, it is bondage, it is misery to live your life for other people. 
You've got to live your life for who God's called you to be. You've got to be the person God has called you to be. It says in Psalm 39 that he created us, God created us, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece. You were God's masterpiece. If you were a painting, God would hang your painting next to the Mona Lisa in the uh, museum in Paris. You are very special. God has created you. He's made you in his own image. He's made your personality. It says he's formed us in the inward parts. He's created us the way we're supposed to be. And he's made us in this wonderful, wonderful uh, way that he's created us. And so if we live our life always thinking about whatever other people think, we're going to not reach our full potential. So say that with me. We'll never reach our full potential if we're obsessed with thinking what other people think about us. And I want to quote a great theologian right now, uh, the great theologian, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss says this. Dr. Seuss says, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. So never try to go through your life to try to get people that, that really, you know, they're, gonna, they're not going to really be your best fans anyhow. Don't go through life trying to get those people to like you. Be who God made you to be. He's created you in an incredible way, and he loves you and has a great plan for your life. When I was a kid, my dad pastored Methodist churches around uh, here. And uh, there's a church not too far from here called Lowe's Crossroads. So there's a little community called Lowe's Crossroads not here too far from the big metrop- metropolis of Gumboro here. And, uh, and so my dad pastored these three different churches, and I would ride with him on Sunday mornings. He would preach at three different churches on Sunday morning. And, and this one church, Lowe's Crossroads, I mean, I would go hear my dad preach three times every Sunday. And it was, you know, I'd go just ride with him to hang out. And, uh, and I think the second church he would go to was this little church in Lowe's Crossroads and I'd already heard the sermon in the first church but I would sit there in the pew and uh and I love that church the reason I love that church it was always cold in there you know the Methodists didn't have enough money to pay for the heat I don't know what it was it was just cold in there all the time but I'd sit there in that church and that church has the most beautiful stained glass window I mean a gigantic stained glass window the whole side of the auditorium was a big stained glass window and my dad would be preaching, and I would look at that stained glass window, and that's what I would see. And I just was so taken with that stained glass window. And, uh, and, and what I just loved about it is all the different colors and all the different patterns in that, in that stained glass window. And I was thinking one day about that church. Actually, I rode by there yesterday. Karen and I were on our way to do a little bike ride in Trap Pond, and we were going to sneak in there and look at that church, and it was locked, and we felt like it wasn't right to break into a church, so we, we didn't <laughs> break in there. But... When I think about that stained glass window, I think about this is how God created you to be. He created you with your own personality to be who you are. And his glory shines through your personality the way the sun shines through a stained glass window. And so instead of going through life trying to be what other people want you to be, be the person that God made you to be. 
Be the person uh, that God has created you to be. The other night, uh, our granddaughter Willa was over, and we were. She had studied. Uh, she had just discovered the, uh, the the different personality type tests that you could take on the uh, on the internet, and she was so excited. And, and she had. She said, "Papa, Mimi, we've taken those things many times." She said, "Papa, Mimi, you need to take this." And so she had us take these tests, and we were looking how different Karen was from me and all that. And 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 I've at the, my age, I've discovered the liberty. In, in being who you are, being able to be who you are. Because I am, I, you know, some of you are extroverts. How many of you are extroverts? You just like to, just, just like to talk to people. You, you want to be at a party all the time. How many are, you're not an extrovert. You like, you would rather not go to the party. Just raise your hand. You know, some of you out there. And then there's amberverts. You know what an ambervert is? An ambervert is someone that's sometimes extroverted, sometimes introverted. So I'm an ambervert. Sometimes I'm like out there, and other times I'm, I'm empty. You got, you got your, you got your, your extroverts, your, your, your introverts, your ambiverts, your perverts, you got the whole thing in there, you know. <laughs> but, but listen, God has created us to be who we are. Say this with me. God has made me to be who I am, and I'm not called to please other people, but to please him. We have an audience of one, an audience of one. Peter, or Paul said later, in fact, let me read to you what he said. This is an incredible verse. Uh, here's what Paul said in verse 10 of Galatians. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? This is Paul's attitude. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Let me ask you that question. That's a question Paul throws out there. Are you trying to win the approval of human beings? Are you living your life that way? Are you on social media and every time you make a post, you're obsessed with, see, how many people like my post? Or how many people like what I say? Or if you wear a new outfit, you're thinking, how many people like what I'm wearing? Or if you, whatever you do, you're always looking, always fishing for a compliment. Paul said, am I now trying to win the approval of beings, human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people, he says in verse 10. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. That's what it says when it says in uh, Proverbs, fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if you're, if you're thinking about other people and you're afraid of what they think, then that's a snare that holds you back, and it makes you feel more insecure. The more you compare yourself with other people, the more you think about what are other people thinking of me, the more you do that, the more insecure you'll be. But when you think about the Lord, when you have an audience of one, Fear the Lord is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So what is the pathway to security? What's the pathway to feeling secure inside? The pathway to feeling secure inside is to trust in the Lord and to know that the Lord is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? If God loves you, who can be against you? God loves you. He cares about you. That's why it says when we think about, we have our view of what other people think of us, and then we have the view of what we think of ourselves. And, you know, the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you love yourself 
the way God loves you? Do you love yourself the way God loves you? That's the goal in life. The goal in life is to understand how much God loves us, how much God cares about us, how much he's for us, to know that in our heart of hearts and to live out of that reality, to live out of that reality and know that he loves us. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's what I've discovered in counseling and pastoring and helping people all over the the years. I've learned this. When a person hates themselves, they have a tendency to hate other people. If you see a person that's angry at other people, a person that's always just going off the handle and they're angry at everybody around them, they're angry at their wife, they're angry at their kids, they're angry at the people they work with, they have this, this overflow of anger and frustration, it's always an overflow of how they feel about themselves. You cannot love other people until you learn to love yourself. If you find somebody that's really critical, they're critical of everything, they just criticize, 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 and I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, been around somebody that's really critical. I played tennis with a lady one time in a mixed doubles match, and, uh, and this lady, and I had been warned about her, and, and they, they said that, you know, she was the most critical person you could ever play with, and, 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 and the, the half had not been told me. She was so critical. Everything I did, I was standing in the wrong place, I wasn't in the right position, and I missed that ball, I should have had that ball, that was not her ball. I should have got that ball. And by the, by the time it was over, I couldn't do anything. I just, I just was everywhere. I was just so mixed up. But critical people are really, really critical themselves. Listen to this. People that love themselves, people that love themselves have the capacity to love other people, to love other people. We'll say, Pastor Danny, you know, you know I, I, I can't love myself because, you know, I've still got these struggles. I've still got these hang-ups. I'm still not everything I'm supposed to be. Let me ask you a question. This is a universal question for everybody today. How many are not where you need to be yet? Just raise your hand. If you're, if you're just not where you need to be yet, just raise your hand. How many have arrived? You are there. You got it done. You're not making any mistakes. You are all together. Uh, you know, if, if that is the case, the wrong person is preaching today. I'm telling you, you should be up here. Say this with me, God loves me while I'm being changed. And that's the the beauty of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians shows us that we have this uh, wonderful grace that covers us, that we're accepted by Jesus, we're justified by grace, we're justified by our faith in Jesus while we're being changed. We are being changed, but that change is always systematic and it's always progressive and God is still working on us. It says in the book of uh, Philippians, my favorite verse, I've quoted it many, many times to you guys, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what that means is that God started a work in me, God started a good work in you, and he's still working in us, and that work will continue until the day of Christ Jesus when Jesus himself comes. So in order to live a life where you, your view of you is the same view that God has of you, you've got to take into your heart this understanding of how much God loves you and he cares about you because your view of you will determine how you treat other people. How you treat other people is always connected to how you treat yourself. So one of the things you need to do this week, your assignment for this week, is to get up every morning and give yourself a hug. 
and say, Lord, you love me. You care about me. Uh, you're working in my life. You love me. I'm not perfect, but I am seeing your wonderful grace take place. And here's what you do. Maybe you say to yourself, you know, I would be, I would be a, uh, uh, you know, I can't love myself because I have done this. I can't love myself because I have done this other thing. I can't love myself because this other thing has happened to me. I can't love myself because of that. Here's what I know about, about, uh, about life. Number one, God is working. He's still working in your life. Number two, that when you make a mistake and when you fail and when you stumble in your Christian walk, which is uh, addressed in the New Testament, the most important thing is, is to, to renew your understanding of God's grace. Let God's grace fill you with his love. Let God's grace fill you with his forgiveness. And then give yourself back to growing in your faith. Now, I used to marvel at the uh, preachers that used to come through my dad's church when I was growing up and when they would preach on the story of David and Goliath and they would preach on the story of David and Goliath and they would say uh, they would always make a point of this uh, you know David went down to the water brook and he chose uh, five smooth stones before he went into battle with Goliath and so uh, it's very clear in, in Samuel chapter 17 that that David before he went to fight Goliath he knelt down in front of that water brook, and he got the five smooth stones out, and he put it in his shepherd's bag, and he was going to go fight Goliath. Now, the evangelists that came through my dad's church would always speculate on what those five stones were for. And one of them said one time, Goliath got five, or David got five stones before he went into battle against Goliath because Goliath had four brothers. Goliath had four brothers, and he was going to go after the four brothers of Goliath. And... Uh, you know, I, I was 13 years old, and I didn't buy that. That didn't seem to make that made some sense to me. Then one of them one time preached and said those five stones represent the fivefold ministry in the book of Ephesians. The apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the fivefold ministry. And, and that's what it meant. And I knew that wasn't right. That was just crazy. But you know why David got five stones out of the book, brook and put it in his shepherd's bag? He got five stones out of the brook to put in his shepherd's bag. Because he was determined if he missed the first time, he was going to try again. And if he missed the second time, he was going to try again. If he missed the fourth time, he was going to try again. If he missed the five, fifth time, uh, it's over anyhow. Goliath is already there. And he put and he prepared in his, in his shepherd's bag a cognitive way of thinking that he was going to keep trying even if he missed I want you to just say this with me today. I'm going to keep trying even if I miss. One more time. I'm going to keep trying even if I miss. And then the book of Galatians, it has this wonderful, uh, this wonderful uh, text in, in Galatians chapter 6 where it talks about what to do. This is the spirit of grace in the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 talks about uh, that if a brother falls, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. This is the spirit of God's kingdom. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught in a sin, Paul is addressing the church. He's addressing followers of Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit, those of you that are walking in the spirit, those of you that are growing and doing good in your faith, those of you that walk in this, but should restore that person gently. 
should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. So we see in the book of Galatians that the attitude about someone that stumbles in their faith, someone that stumbles as they're growing in their faith, Paul gave them instructions to the churches of Galatia. He said, if somebody messes up, if somebody fails, if somebody misses the mark, make sure that if you're walking in the spirit and you're mature in the faith, that you're gentle with those people and you help them to get back on their feet and you watch yourself lest you should fall. So the spirit of the church needs to be a spirit where we don't like, uh, if somebody makes a mistake, we don't shoot them. We don't shoot our wounded. But we restore our wounded. We help people that are struggling. And that's the spirit of how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. How we treat ourselves. We treat ourselves with grace and we export grace to other people. Some of you have heard me tell this story many times. I've told it probably 500 times since I've been pastor here. But uh, one day I was down to Salisbury Hospital visiting uh, uh, somebody in the hospital. And it's, uh, it was Peninsula Regional Hospital. And now it's Tidal Health, I think. And they keep changing the names, you know. But it's, it's Tidal Health now, I think. But that hospital is like five stories. The first building you go to, about five stories high. And I remember I've been in there visiting somebody, made a real successful visit, read the 23rd Psalm to him, didn't stand on the breathing tube. It was a really good visit. <laughs> And uh, I, I'm, I'm coming out, and it's a spring day, beautiful spring day. And as I'm coming out, there's these window cleaners that are cleaning the windows on the hospital. And this, the guy, that, the two people that are up there, I mean, they are on the, up on the fifth floor on the outside. And they have these little seats on these little pulleys, pulleys. They're swinging back and forth with those little squeegees, and they're cleaning the, the hospital windows. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at that. And it just, you know, it was a, you know, an urban experience for me because I'm from Gumber. There's a five-story building, so I'm looking at this. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, there's a guy next to me. We're talking about how high they are up there and what if they fell. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, you know, what better place to fall than to fall right in front of a hospital? <laughs> That's like the best place you could ever fall. And when you think about what's the best place to mess up? What's the best place to fail? It's around godly people that will love us and restore us. And our church is a church that's called to restore and love people that aren't perfect. And if you're looking for a church that has just perfect people that are all put together and they do everything right all the time and at our Femme Island campus, or at this campus, if you're looking for a church where people have halos, all of them have halos, then you're not going to be very happy at Bayshore because just, we're just real people that Jesus is changing and helping. And we're different than we used to be, but how many know we're still messing up? We still have to reach into that, that shepherd's bag and pull out another stone and try again. You know what it says in the book, the end of the book of Galatians? It says this. He says, don't give up. You'll reap a harvest if you faint not. Now that verse, I've always thought, that means to, you know, I've always thought it meant about perseverance, hanging in there, you know, keep trying. It surely means that. But it's talking about a harvest of righteousness. You keep loving Jesus. You keep reading the word. You keep growing in your faith even when you stumble because you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. And the Lord, the Lord is with you.
I want you to, I want to quote one more scripture, uh, and the, it's out of First John, I think it's chapter 3. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? When you think about how does God think about you, God thinks about you, he's for you. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and bless you and do all these wonderful things. We always read that. We quote that. It's on our little bumper stickers and all that. But that is in the context of people that are in Babylon in captivity, people that have messed up. The context is about people that have blown it. And it's not prophesied to people in Jerusalem. It's prophesied to people in Babylon that are living in captivity because they have blown it so royally. And God says to them, even though you messed up, even though you failed, I have plans for you to bless you and prosper you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Let's all, let the Lord just pour his grace out on you and impart to you his wonderful love and grace. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let the love of God fill your heart, invade your heart, so you can walk in the liberty that God has called you to walk in. Father, we thank you for what your word says to us. The New Testament is full of grace. It's full of love. It's full of mercy. It's full of the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. So we pray, God, as we enter a new week, we start a new week, we're beginning a new, uh, a new season, spring season, we ask you to give us strength to uphold us and, and lift us up and let us become the people you've designed us to be. And we just thank you for blessing us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering this morning. We love you guys. God bless you guys. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.